0: Into it that I forgot to start that. So I, I love I love this topic. Uh, we've actually talked about uh, friendship in uh, Rooted before. It's been several years, uh, but this is a topic I really enjoy talking about. And there's so much that we could say um, about friendship as a whole that goes even outside the Book of Proverbs. But my desire today is just to really refine and give you some focused attention on a few select proverbs that help you think about the nature of uh, biblical God-honoring friendships, and I'm going to venture to guess that that's a fairly practical subject for you. I'm going to guess that that impacts A lot of your daily life You've thought about that a lot You've experienced the joys of friendship You've experienced the hurts of friendship You've experienced the longings or the desires for friendship And so today my hope is to just give you uh, Some principles from Solomon On what we need to think about when it comes to friendship But the place I want to start Is actually with the bigger broad question of why did God create us for relationships? And when I say relationships, I'm not talking like just dating. I'm just saying, why did God create us for relationships with other people? And I think that's an important question that we have to answer in the grand scheme of this. And it's actually one that I've I've really tried to mull over for a long time over the last couple of years, of what exactly is the reason we have relationships with other people? Why did God create us that way? So anybody want to take a stab at that? Yeah. Because God created us in his image, and he has relationships with others, including Jesus. Okay. So God created us in his image, and I, I, that's a profound thing that you were just saying there. So what was that second part? God has relationships with what? Yeah, that's really, that's really good, Caden. So yeah, catch on to what Caden was just saying there, is that God created us in his image. But remember that even before he created anything, who existed? Just God himself, right? And you could say himself, but we remember something about God. God is just not one person. God is three, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So isn't it interesting that God created us relational because first and foremost, he is relational. God did not create us because he lacked some relational void as if he was trying to fill some some hole in his own heart that he couldn't satisfy. No, God was perfectly satisfied in himself with this relationship he had amongst himself as God, Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. And so that's an important thing that we have to understand is the fact that God, when he created us as relational and longing for relationship with other people, that's actually reflective of his good character because he himself is relational. So I think that that's one framework we definitely have to understand. Uh, Why else? Why else did God create us for relationships, do you think? Any other ideas? Okay, So he has relationships. Our relationships in some ways are a mirror into or a reflect, uh, reflection of our need for God, right? So even in our uh, longing in those relationships. And, and it, it, we could even say in some ways our relationships with others are meant to... We could say, even reflect God's character. So, like, not only just our intimacy that we need to have with God, but even just the good intimacy that that God has with us, how that's reflected in others, right? Like, you see in places, Ephesians 5, where it talks about marriage as kind of a portrayal of Christ in the church. It's a reflective of that. We see in uh, Jesus, when he talks about uh, friendship, he, he talks about. Uh, Greater love has no one than this, that his friend, uh, that uh, he laid down his life for his friends, right? So even in the the relationships we have in our friendships and and marriage and uh, church, they are all reflective in many ways of that relationship with God. Good. Any other ideas? This is is a good discussion. I'm, I'm willing to ride this as long as we want to. But Let me ask one more question that I think will help frame this before we get into our material this morning is, Why did God create us at all? Maybe another way of saying that is, why do we exist? What is our purpose? Yeah. To glorify God. So, if we have been created, and our ultimate goal, and our ultimate aim and purpose of why God created us is to glorify Him, then that means we have to understand relationships of any sort, through that lens. That somehow our relationships are meant to glorify God as well. And I'm going to add another layer to that. Uh, the reason that we enter into any type of relationships, as I've tried to like process this over the years, I think it, it works to understand it this way, is that somehow we believe or we understand we can glorify God better together than we can on our own. And I think that's a profound uh, thing to think about, right? Like, think about creation. The reason God created us, again, not because he lacked anything, but because he knew he would receive more glory if he had people who were worshiping him. So he created more people together to, to glorify him. When we think about something like, Marriage, We think about uh, a companionship between two individuals uh, that is meant somehow we we enter into that because we believe somehow that is going to better glorify God than maybe to remain remain single. Now, the Bible also says that a lot of times we can desire to remain single because we also understand that that stage and that freedom of life actually allows us to glorify God better as well. We think about uh, the church. Have you noticed that God doesn't call you uh, and save you out of your sin to just then live on your own? No. Remember, he calls you into a, a body with brothers and sisters because he believes that as a church, as a community of believers, you can better glorify him together than you can if you just live your own individual independent life. And so hopefully that's starting to make sense what I'm saying there because then that shapes the way you think about friendship. In other words, God has given you friendship with others to help you better glorify God together. And that probably turns your perspective of friendship around or on its head a little bit because I'm going to guess... For many of you, that's not the way you've thought about why friendships exist. I think as a Christian, it's important. Now, if you're not a Christian, then there's no reason that you would think about it that way. But if you are here this morning and you would identify yourself as a follower of God because Jesus Christ has saved you, then this requires a different framework, a different lens for how you think about life. And that then shapes the way of what we're going to talk about with how God designed friendships, and so I think that's important to understand as we begin our study this morning. So we're going to unpack that uh, as we look at Proverbs, and again, Proverbs is just one book in the Bible that talks about friendship, but it has a lot to say. And so I've done my best to kind of compile uh, some of the best proverbs that talk to the nature of friendship, and set them into two categories. So this morning we're going to talk about the true friends, the biblical friends and we're going to talk about the bad friend because we need to also understand and identify what is a bad friend. But we're going to start with the positive, right? So let's talk about what makes someone a true friend. So, let's start this way. We look at proverbs. I think we see that a true friend is willing to correct when his, his or her friends are is in the wrong. A true friend is willing to correct when his or her friend is in the wrong so that's a principle that really is drawn out for us in Proverbs 27 uh, verse 6 notice what Proverbs 27 6 says it says faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy now don't get weirded out here by this idea of wounds or or kisses Um, here's kind of what it's getting to Um, I've said this many times in here before. Some of you might remember it. Some of you might be able to uh, finish my sentence here, and that's really great. And some of you, maybe you've been here for years and you still have no idea what I'm about to say. But I've said this many times, and maybe for some of you, it's the first time you've heard it. But your best friend is the one who tells you the most what? Truth. Your best friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Or if we want to say it another way, your best friend is the one who tells you what you need to hear more than just what you want to hear. And that really kind of flies in the face of the way that we think about friendship is that so often I think there's a, there's a temptation where we think, well, well, I'm going to answer according to the way this person I think wants me to answer Because I might not agree with the way that they're handling this situation, but I also don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to cause a stir. Uh, They obviously feel strongly about it, so it would be easier for me just to tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And again, you see the difference of that here in verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Wounds is kind of painful language. Wounds is uh, not comfortable. But notice that it says wounds can come from a friend. A friend is willing to say the hard thing, even if they know that it's going to be hard for that person to hear, even if they know it might cause them uh, some level of pain. Now, how you say that's obviously important, but... It means that you're willing to stand up for what you know is right for that person, what's best for that person, because it's what they need to hear. Uh, And vice versa, actually the most unloving thing you can do is withhold what that person needs. In fact, it says that when you do that, you're more like an enemy. You're like an enemy who is sweet-talking somebody. Uh, You're just, uh, you know, we use the the term in, in... uh, the school world sometimes, right? You're, you're you're sucking up to that person, right? You're not really actually desiring to to help them. So that's a huge huge difference here. Uh, sometimes what you need to hear is going to wound you. It's going to wound your pride. It's going to wound your relationship, maybe with that person. That's why I say how you say that is important. But it's the thing that needs to be said. that's again and this is emphasized again in proverbs 28:23 where it says whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. We're not as biblical friends we're not in the business of just trying to flatter people with our words. Could you gain more friends that way? Probably. We're going to learn later that that's not necessarily a good thing. But notice here we'll find more favor yeah, they might not see it in the moment, but over time, that person is going to realize, man, what that person said to me was probably really hard, but I needed to hear it in that season. Uh, friendship is not based around flattery. It's about telling your friend what they really need to hear. And I think that's important for our second point this morning, and that is that a true friend is a good counselor to those who need truth. A true friend is a good counselor to those who need truth. Uh, We see that in Proverbs 27, verse 9, where it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Uh, Oil and perfume are paired together as this sweet combination of both something that is refreshing and something that's invigorating. So, Oil back in the day was something that was uh, relaxing. It was something that was used to anoint people. There was a soothing nature to it. Uh, Perfume, we obviously understand there's a fragrance, there's an aroma that seemingly should smell good. Now, we all know in our culture, some perfumes uh, don't exactly do that, right? Uh, But in our modern day, you know, you, you could change this to whatever you want to, to have that sweet combination of something that's both relaxing and something that smells good, Right? Nothing like a hot shower and a good smelling candle, right? Like, put whatever you want to on here. The idea is that when a friend is willing to give earnest counsel, that's the effect it has. It's, it's sweet. It's soothing. It's relaxing. It's, it's what I desperately need. That's what the earnest counsel of a good friend is like. It's counsel that is based also not just around your opinion, all right. We talked about before, you tell people not just what they uh, need, uh, want to hear. You tell them what they need to hear. But oftentimes, what they need to hear is not your own opinion. So I think that's important, right? Uh, now, there might be a time where that's needed, but your opinion is always grounded in what? What's your opinion grounded in? What's your counsel going to be grounded in? Tacos, grounded in modern day philosophy, grounded in Xbox 360. What is it grounded in? It's grounded in, truth. it's grounded in truth. It's grounded in God's Word. In other words, what is really sweet to your Christian friends is the fact that you're pointing them back to the Bible. And that, I understand, that, that means we need to know our Bibles. It means that. Maybe not every situation you know for sure how to answer, but you're willing to give the time to think about it and to point people back to where it is. You say, you know what, I, I think the Bible would say this is probably a better way to handle this situation. I'm uh, pretty sure God's word would tell us tell you maybe not to do what you're about to do. I think when we look at these two things, uh, when we look at the fact that being a, a true friend means that you are uh willing to correct and you're a good counselor to those who need truth i think those two things together uh require honesty and vulnerability Uh, they require you to be able to open up your life to somebody in a way that maybe you're not used to doing uh tim keller uh, has said it this way he says friends must have hunting licenses to enter, not literal hunting licenses, but metaphorical, hunting licenses to enter into dark spaces and secret gardens of our life to call us to holiness. And so you have to be willing to have friends in your life that you know will say the hard thing to you, even if you know it's not maybe what you want to hear in the moment, you know it's what you need to hear in the moment. A good friend is willing to correct and to redirect you on the following. So let me give you, you're probably thinking like, give me some tangible examples of this. Okay. Here's what a a true good friend would do. When you are tempted to start responding to your parents poorly, you're starting to complain in front of them. Mom and dad are asking something of you that you don't want to do. A good friend is not going to say, man, your parents, they're totally being unreasonable with you. Man, like, I just, I can't believe, like, you're stuck in that situation. No, you know what your good friend's going to tell you? It's like, hey, listen, I understand you may not like this, but God, God is giving you your parents for a reason. God, God wants you to obey them. Like, How can I help you in that? Like, I understand that this might not be what you want to do, but how would God want you to respond in this situation? Because I don't think complaining about them is the answer. See the difference there? How many of us would be willing to actually do that, right? That's That's the harder part. Or when you start to maybe gossip about some other person in class, or I know this has never happened before, start to complain about a teacher or a coach, Uh, just how they're the worst, the workout they made you do, the assignments they give you. And here's the deal. One of the greatest uniters of people is complaining. I've noticed that over the years. You can really unify people over complaining, but a good friend is going to recognize that and see that and say, you know, this is, the Bible says we really shouldn't, complain and grumble about these things, they're going to point you back to saying like, listen, yeah, like that person has been entrusted to do a job as a coach or a teacher. And we're going to, we're going to trust them with it. Even again, if it's not the way we would do things, we're going to show ourselves to be obedient to that. We're going to submit to that and we're going to do our best with it. Again, how many of us are very quick to step in and be a friend like that? How many of us would be a friend who is willing to step up whenever we see somebody else's life, maybe somebody in this room who we know is also a professing Christian who is starting to speak a certain way in front of others that you know is contrary to what your Christian faith would say or to act in a certain way, to do certain things that you know are not consistent with the faith you proclaim? How many of us are willing to step in and call them on that, not in an unloving way, but in a way that says, listen, like, remember your, your greater allegiance here is not to these people. Your greater allegiance is to God. Don't, don't sell out to these people for the sake of being faithful to the Lord. That's, that's what a good friend looks like. That's what a good friend is willing to do and step in and how they're able to counsel their friend in truth. But thirdly this morning, a true friend is committed to his or her friends in love. Proverbs 17, 17 talks about that. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. To love at all times means that they are somebody who is committed. They're not just there when times are good, but when times are hard. It's proven over the course of time. So you need me to go back? Go back where you're there. I can tell you're looking at it. No worries. In other words, they don't, Let's think about it this way. A good friend uh, doesn't just give up, cancel, or unfriend or unfollow you uh, whenever things are tough. Although I will say this, there are probably some relationships that you probably should do that with because they're not healthy, and we'll talk about those in a moment. But a true friend is there. They're committed, but notice it's not just they're committed. They're committed in love. Right, the, the foundational principle of, of relationships is that they are built on love, not just feelings. Now, feelings come from love, but too often we think about our relationships through how does, how does this person make me feel? And the moment this person doesn't make me feel the way that I think I need to feel or the way I want to feel, what's our response? We get out of it. We, we leave it. But the Bible tells us that The foundation of a a real relationship, friendship, marriage, church life, is always on love. Agape love. Sacrificial love. Something we're going to talk about at camp this year. Love is a choice. It is a commitment. And we see in Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He sticks, right? that term brother, we, we, we see that term a lot, and we don't think much of it, but understand this, in that Near East culture that the Israelites would have grown up in in the days of Solomon, um, they regarded a biological family extremely highly. And so this would have been kind of controversial to say that there is somebody who sticks even closer than a brother. Uh, that's, that's profound. And notice that this verse is getting at the idea that it's better to have a few close friends than to have many companions. To have a few really quality friends than to be a people pleaser who does everything to try to earn favor with everyone. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think that this is kind of the problem that we've entered into of our social media culture. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this here lately as well. But so often we are concerned with the number of friends, the number of followers, the number of likes. And yet so many of these things don't communicate human dignity and they don't represent friendship the way that God defines it and we're willing to do things to earn favor and followers and a following in general. But that's not friendship. And we're always going to be left wanting more. We're always going to be left lacking. And that's not the way that God designed friendship to work. The, these digital relationships are to view our our dignity and our... Value through the number of people who like us, we need to be redirected back to what God really actually wants for us, what God expects of us, the way God designed us to be. We need to focus more on quality than quantity in our friendships and our relationships with others. And so, again, just to recap there, a true friend is willing to correct... A true friend is a good counselor, and a true friend is committed. All three of those things we see very clearly in the Proverbs. So what does it have to say about the bad friend? Well, the bad friend leads others into sin. And that should come as no surprise to us. We talked about that already back in chapter 1, which many of you don't even remember chapter 1. That was so long ago. But chapter 1, if you remember verses 10 through 19, talk about uh, the pitfalls of peer pressure to not go along with those who are trying to entice you into a certain way of life that you know is actually going to harm other people. True friends don't do that. And if you have friends who are constantly leading you in a direction that you know does not honor the Lord, then you're making a grave mistake with your friendship choices. And I say a grave mistake very intentionally because... Solomon even says there in in Proverbs 1, he says that those who live this way are destined for destruction. It will harm you in the end. We see this later on in Proverbs in chapter 22, verses 24 to 25, where Solomon says this, he says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Uh, I don't think that the focus is so much on anger and wrath as it is there in verse 25 lest you learn his ways we could we could insert and substitute whatever we want to there in verse 24 right do not go uh do not make friends with a uh a man given to lust a gal given to greed do not go. you fill in the blank with whatever you want but verse 25 says, lest you learn his ways. Lest you learn her ways. Uh, Paul picks up on that language in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, bad company corrupts good morals. That word corrupt is the same type of word that we use for, like, rust. It, it deteriorates. You now we live in the Midwest here, uh, where Our cars are profoundly rusty because they endure long, hard winters where they get salt and all these things on them that over time cause the metal to deteriorate. You go out to a place like Southern California, you hardly see rusty cars like that because they don't have those type of elements necessarily. Those things will deteriorate you over time. If you allow yourself to hang around with those types of friends or if you make yourself friends with those types of individuals, truth is they will rub off over time. I'm going to emphasize another point that i've shared over the years but you need to ask yourself a question about your friendships often and this particularly pertains to friendships that you might have with non-believers which i would encourage you to think about what the nature of that relationship is but the question you always need to be asking yourself is this who is having more influence on who who is having more influence on who if your friends are having more influence on you for evil than you are having on them for good, then it's not a profitable relationship anymore. And you need to take steps to do something about that. Just add a disclaimer here that most, if most of your relationships are like that, if most of your friendships are like that with these types of people... you're really lacking as a christian you're really lacking god would tell you that you're missing out on something really important and really valuable for your life and these verses remind us that such people are not the ones we want to build the most vulnerable parts of our lives around because they're not going to be able to counsel you in truth they're not going to be committed to you in love they're not going to carry your burdens the way that a true friend is expected to We also see that a bad friend hurts others with their speech. That's not surprising. Bad friend hurts others with their speech. Proverbs 11.13. Now, I think your note sheet might say 11.23. Does it say 11.23? That's a typo. Change that. It's 11.13. This is always great when you do the note sheet before, and then you go back and you're studying it, and you're like, 11.23 is not what I thought it said the first time. Then you realize it's because you typed it in wrong. So 11.13... It tells us, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Also notice what it says in 1628, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. Both of those passages show the value in having friends who exercise discretion in what they say. To slander is to to speak falsely of others. It is the opposite of trustworthy, right? Like That's, that's not a trustworthy person who you think is not going to be truthful in what they say. 1628 speaks of a dishonest person. All of these make lousy friends because they cannot be trusted except in one area. You can trust them to not be trusted, right? Like that is the only thing that you know that they're reliable for is that they're going to somehow... Turn this on its head in a way that's not going to help you. These verses don't use the word gossip, but I think it's somewhat implied in that idea of whispers that separate friends. They're they're double-tongued. They'll say one thing to one person, and they'll say something to another. A bad friend will joke about your mistakes, your failings, your shortcomings, all in the name of humor, uh, or saying that that's just the nature of your relationship, but it only does harm to the friendship, right? You got to look for the friends who, I, I get it. Like, it's good to have friends who, you know, you can joke together and you're still, you're still friends, but you got to ask yourself, what's the nature of that joking? But then you also have to ask yourself, is this person also going to be serious with me when I need them to be serious? Am I willing to be serious when I need to be serious? As such, I think we can rightly conclude that our final point, uh, with our final point, that a bad friend will cause others suffering by their company. A bad friend will cause suffering by their company. In other words, this corrupting influence will weigh heavily over the course of time. Uh, this is what Proverbs 13:20 speaks of. "Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." Uh, just again, notice the contrast in this verse between the wise and the foolish. The person who chooses to be friends with fools will suffer harm. There will be consequences." Now that's not to say that all Christian friendships are perfect. And that they will never hurt you. Right? I want to be very clear about that. These are not promises. These are principles. That's what Proverbs are. But the reality is, more times than not, your relationships with somebody who is a fool, who is not walking with the Lord, is going to end up hurting you more often than the person who is walking with the Lord. It's going to hurt one way or another. Maybe not at first, but certainly over the course of time. I get it. I know that some of those people may feel like they're the most accepting in your life. They're the people who understand you. They get you. Maybe they share more hobbies or things of interest to you than maybe the Christians in youth group or at your church. But when it comes down to it, they do not have your best interest in mind. In other words, they don't have the most important thing in mind because they do not have God's spirit that will point you back to God's truth. So they may have a lot of the things that you want and that you're looking for in a friend, but they lack the most important thing. And that will show up over the course of time in the way that they counsel you and the way that they lead you and the way that they direct, whatever it may be, that will show itself. So we've seen this morning a lot with these two categories of what good friendship and what bad friendship looks like in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. But I want to end by asking you to consider this. I think it's easy to think about what we've talked about this morning through the lens of how good a job are my friends doing for me? Right? It's easy to look at this and say, oh man, like what? What, what are all the, as I look about this, what are all these friends in my life, what are they doing? What are, how are they living up to this? And there's certainly a place for that, and I think you need to do that, but I don't think that's the place you need to start. Like anything in the Bible, you need to start by looking at this through your own lens first. First. It's easy to ask the question, how good of a job are others doing at being a friend to me? But how often are you quick to ask yourself, how good of a friend am I being to others? And that's where I would encourage you to start in reflection of this lesson this morning, is ask yourself, how am I currently being a good friend to those in my life? How am I willing to point others back to truth? How am I willing to uh, be committed in love? How am I correcting? How am I being a counselor? Or am I, am I kind of more of a drain on others? Am I expecting things of others that I myself am not willing to give to others? Am I desiring for them to tell me what I need to hear and yet whenever they're making mistakes I am quiet? Am I desiring them to stay committed to me even though when they did something that made me upset I decided to ghost them for two weeks? So ask yourself this morning, what type of friend am I? And that, that can kind of be a somber point, so I want to end by And looking at what Jesus says about friendship. Uh, Jesus, of course, like all things, is the perfect example of everything, and that includes friendship. Um, But I would encourage you, as we wrap up here, to think about, strive to be the kind of friend to others that Jesus has already been to you. Think about the sacrificial love that Jesus gave for the sake of others. He did not... Exist to serve himself. He did not exist to gratify his own desires. He did not exist to, uh, he did not have friends so that they would emotionally just support him. In fact, they were, if that was the case, he had some pretty classy friends in, in many ways. And yet, Jesus was willing to sacrificially give himself for the sake of the people who needed him the most. And so, pray, be humble and ask for God to help you make, the type, make you the type of friend that Jesus has already been to you. So with that, let's pray and be dismissed. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that you've given us to just think about these things, uh, something that weighs very heavily on our hearts, uh, I know impacts us in our daily lives. And truth is, Lord, we need you in this. We are not on our own uh, capable of quality biblical friendship but we know that if you have placed your spirit in us and you have given us your truth we know that you've given us everything we need uh, to live life obediently and that includes the way that we seek to be friends to others and so we thank you first and foremost for the love and sacrifice that you've shown to us through Christ and now we ask that you would help us empower us to live uh, in that way to be that type of friend to others Um, so we ask this In a way that only you can do by the power and glory of your name. We ask you, Jesus. Amen.